Let's just t- let's take a minute and pray. God, we gather tonight and it ought to be a solemn occasion. One that fills us with both grief as we reflect on the Savior and what he, what he endured on our behalf, but it's also an occasion that ought to be one of gratitude as we reflect on the Savior and what He endured on our behalf. God, I pray that we would have a, a spirit and a sense of celebration tonight because the bridge of that first song, Lord, we come here to celebrate the fact that now our debt is paid. It is paid in full by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And now the curse of death has no hold on us because who the Son sets free is free indeed. God, I pray we would be gripped by that this evening. God, I pray that your spirit here moving among us tonight would give us a clarity and an an understanding of the cross that is maybe just a reminder for us because we've heard these things many times, but our often wandering heart needs reminders. So would your spirit bring that here this evening? God, I pray that maybe there would be a new dimension to the reality and the depth of the cross that you would illuminate for us this evening. God, I pray that you would cultivate within us a sense of anticipation for the celebration that Sunday morning will be. But God, I also pray you wouldn't allow us to rush past your justice and your judgment on Good Friday. Because the more we understand Friday, the sweeter Sunday is. God, would your spirit bring those things to bear on each and every one of us here this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, here's, what I, here's what I want us to do this evening. Um, we're going to spend some time still in Zephaniah, and there's a reason for that. We've talked over the last couple of Sundays about the justice and the righteousness of God, and then we followed that up by talking about the mercy of God. But there's, there's another element to the character and the truth of who God is that I want us to see tonight. And there is uh, an aspect of the cross that I want us to make sure that we understand tonight. And this is probably going to feel a little bit different than maybe a typical Good Friday service. But the cross is wonderfully multifaceted. You could do nothing but spend the rest of your life thinking about and reflecting on all the wonderful truths of the cross at Calvary and never exhaust the depth of them. And so I hope this evening we see 
maybe an aspect of the cross that we often overlook. I hope that our desire at this service each and every year is that there would be a simplicity that marks this service and that there would be a space for us to reflect on Jesus and the cross. And I hope all of those things uh, play themselves out over the next hour or so. And I want to start by just reading from Zephaniah chapter 2 and 3. I'm going to start in Zephaniah 2 verse 4. And I'm going to read to Zephaniah 3, verse 8. And I'm going to get done with that. And you're going to say, what in the world does that have to do with tonight? And then I just want us to work our way through it. Here's what it says. For Gaza will be abandoned. And Ashkelon will become a ruin. Ashdod will be driven out at noon. And Ekron will be uprooted. Woe, inhabitants of the seacoast, nation of the Cherethites. The word of the Lord is against you. Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you until there is no one left. The seacoast will become pasture lands with caves for shepherds and pens for sheep. The coastlands will be, uh, belong to the remnant of the house of Judah. They will find pasture there. They will lie down in the evening among the houses of Ashkelon, for the Lord their God will return to them and restore their fortunes. I have heard the taunting of Moab and the insults of the Ammonites who have taunted my people and threatened their territory. Therefore, as I live, this is the declaration of the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, Moab, will be like Sodom, and the Ammonites like Gomorrah, a place overgrown with weeds, a salt pit, and a perpetual wasteland. The remnant of my people will plunder them, the remainder of my nation will dispossess them. This is what they get for their pride, because they have taunted and acted arrogantly against the people of the Lord of armies. The Lord will be terrifying to them when he starves all the gods of the earth. Then all the distant coastlands and islands of the nations will bow and worship to him, each in his own place. You Cushites will also be slain by the sword. He will also stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. He will make Nineveh a desolate ruin, dry as the desert. Herds will lie down in the middle of it. Every kind of wild animal, both eagle owls and herons, will roost in the capitals uh, of its pillars." Their calls will sound from the window, but devastation will be on the threshold, for he he will expose the cedar work. This is the jubilant city that lives in security, that thinks to herself, I exist and there is no one else. What a desolation she has become, a place for wild animals to lie down. Everyone who passes by her scoffs and shakes his fist. Woe to the city that is rebellious and defiled, the oppressive city. She has not obeyed. She has not accepted discipline. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. The princes within her are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the night, which leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary. They do violence to instruction. The righteous Lord is in her. He does no wrong. He applies his justice by our morning by morning. He does not fail at dawn. Yet the one who does wrong knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their corner towers are destroyed. I have laid waste their streets with no one to pass through. Their cities lie devastated without a person, without an inhabitant. I thought you will certainly fear me and accept correction. Then her dwelling place would not be cut off based on all that I had allocated to her. However, they became more corrupt in all their actions. Therefore, wait for me. This is the Lord's declaration. Until the day I rise up for plunder, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, in order to pour out my indignation on them, all my burning anger, for the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy.
Zephaniah 2, 4 to 3, 8. The goal here this evening is simple. We want to see Jesus' work on the cross clearly and somberly, but also with joy and thanksgiving. And in doing so, we're going to witness in this text everything we've seen about the Lord in Zephaniah up to this point. He is going to speak as he has done all throughout the book of Zephaniah, but also as he does this day. He's going to remind us of his desire to be worshipped exclusively as he's desired since before setting the foundations of the earth in place and as he still desires today. He's going to show that he is active, searching humanity, knowing the hearts of all the people, both in Zephaniah's day and in ours. He's going to keep before our eyes the reality of his justice and righteousness. He's going to reinforce his mercy, held out for the world, for his people, and for us today. And he's also going to show us one other trait about who he is, and that trait is that the Lord is judge. He always has been. He always will be. And he alone will be. If you've got your Bible with you, flip back to chapter 2, verse 4. There are only going to be a few things on the screen. If you're a note taker, don't get stressed out. You don't need to take any notes tonight. There's just enough on the screens to make sure that for our visual learners, they don't fall asleep. Where I want us to start this evening is that the Lord will judge the world. If you just scan your eyes down Zephaniah 2 verse 4 to the end of chapter 2, you see Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron. Those cities were right in the land of Canaan. They were Philistine cities. They're listed north to south within the land of Canaan. The area that the Philistines still occupied was to the very east of the promised land, right along the coast. God's going to judge them, he says. Their people are referred to as the Cherethites, the Philistines. Then as you keep scrolling down, you see Moab and the Ammonites. Those nations were just to Israel's east, across the Jordan. The nations that bordered Israel on the opposite side of the Jordan River, which was the boundary to the Promised Land. You continue to look down and you see mention of the Cushites. Those were the people to Israel's south. Ethiopian by descent, but when the Old Testament refers to the Cushites, it's talking predominantly about the nation of Egypt. And then the last group that's mentioned by name is the Assyrians, or the city of Nineveh. They were just to the north. They were the world power at the time. And as an Israelite person heard the Lord say these things, they would have seen the circle around them and thought to themselves, absolutely, you heathens. You will be judged and justice and the Lord's righteousness will come to bear on all the people around us who've given us trouble for generations, who have assaulted us from every side, who have attempted to take us over at all times. In fact, as an Israelite person heard this said, they probably would have forgotten everything that was said about them in chapter 1. And they would have thought, ah, there's the clarification. This is going to happen to everybody else all around us. In fact, 
The text goes on to tell us that the distant coastlands and the island nations don't even get named. They're so far away. That one day, they're going to bow their knee as well. And then the whole passage that we're looking at tonight comes to an end in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. And the Lord says that He is going to gather the nations, the kingdoms, all the inhabitants of the whole earth. Let me put all of that in context for us. The Lord is the judge of the world. There is no people, no nation, no group that falls outside of His universal jurisdiction. The foreign people that live among us right here in our own country, like the Philistines there in the land of Canaan, they will be judged. The people in Europe to our east, French, German, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, Polish, Romanian, Ukrainian, they will be judged. The people to our south will be judged. Mexicans, Guatemalans, Chileans, Argentinians, Brazilians, Ecuadorians, Colombians, 120 people groups that live in the Amazon rainforest, some of them who have never been contacted. 20 million people spread out over eight different countries. They'll be judged. The people to our north will be judged. And you say to yourself, that's only Canada. <laughs> Canadians will be judged. Arctic people like the Inuit and the Eskimo. Greenlandic people, Icelandic people. They'll be judged. The people of distant nations in the islands will be judged. 39 people groups in Indonesia alone. 123 people groups in China. The peoples in the mountains of Nepal and the slums and villages of India in remote places in Iran, Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq, Qatar, Dubai, on the islands of the Philippines and in the lonely places of the Pacific. They'll be judged. All the peoples of all the world all the kingdoms, all the languages, all the tribes, He will gather them together. The ones you don't know, that you've never heard of, that you likely don't care anything about as you sit here this evening. They'll be judged. I want you to hold them in your mind as we continue because we have a tendency to do something to the cross. We make it about me. Oh, there's Jesus on the cross dying for me. Which is absolutely true. And it's true because you are part of the nations. It's true because you are part of all the peoples of the earth. Jesus on the cross died for the people of the world. Not a single group, not a single nation, not a single language group, not a single tribe. He will judge everyone. And if the verdict that is read in that moment of judgment is guilty, the consequences will be expedient and they will be exhaustive. If you've got your Bible... Let's just work our way through these. I'm going to start in verse 8 of chapter 2. He's going to judge those who are against him, 
I have heard the taunting in Moab, the insults of the Ammonites who have taunted my people and threatened their territory. Those among the nations all around the world who taunt and mock the Lord, they will be judged. Those who belittle His character, who write off His very existence, we are told that they will be laid waste, verse 9, like Sodom and Gomorrah. He will judge those who try to stand above Him, verses 10 and 11. This is what they get for their pride. The human heart is bent toward pride. At its most base level, what makes pride so damning is that it claims that God is not God, but that we are instead. That was the reason for Satan's fall from heaven. It was at the root of the sin that captivated Adam and Eve. It causes us to think that we ought to be the one that we worship. It makes ourself chief among the idols that we bow down to most often. He will display himself to be so much greater than all of those things. He will cause the prideful to bow in worship before him. He will shame the gods of all the earth. Literally, the text says, he will starve them. Anyone who tries to stand above him. He will judge who think that they can set the, those who think they can set themselves apart from him. Verses 13 through 15. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. Nineveh, verse 15, this is the jubilant city that lives in security that thinks to herself, I exist and there is no one else. Those who think to themselves, I exist and there's nothing greater. The text tells us that he will cause those places to become such a place of desolation that even animals who don't want to be around people will come and lie down there. You'll be able to hear them from their windows. Their devastation of the Lord will be upon the threshold. He will expose the cedar work. The best translation of that for today will be, you'll be able to see the foundation of those homes. He will stretch out His hand and judge those who try to set themselves apart from Him. We saw in chapter 1, verse 12, that He will judge those who are apathetic toward Him. Those who think to themselves that the Lord will do neither good nor bad. Those who feel as though the Lord isn't even worth a passing thought. He will judge those who are against Him. He will judge those who think they are above Him. He will judge those who think they stand apart from Him. And He will judge those who are apathetic to Him. The thrust of the text is that at some point, every single one of us will stand across from Him. And He will judge. Hebrews 9.27 says this, that it is appointed for people to die once and after this, judgment. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each and every person, all the nations, all the peoples, all the kingdoms are going to stand before Him. We will die. That is a certainty. And then we will face judgment. Death and taxes, yes, but death, taxes, and judgment. You can bank on those three things. Those are three guarantees in your existence. I don't know what that moment or scene is going to look like, but I know that I will stand there one day, and I know that when I stand there, 
the judged one, Jesus Christ, is the standard by which I will be judged. I will stand there before the throne of God in heaven and the judge is going to look at me and his son is going to be the standard of my righteousness or unrighteousness. His son is going to be the means by which I am either declared innocent or I am declared guilty. And that is good news. It's good news because of the cross. You see, at one time, some of us in this room put ourselves against the Lord. Jesus, on the other hand, has operated eternally in perfect unity with the Father. It was His literal food, He says, to do the will of His Father in heaven. At one time, some of us thought ourselves above Him. We just thought we were better than Him. Jesus, on the other hand, did not think equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, Philippians reminds us. At one time, some of us tried to set ourselves apart from Him, living as though I exist, but nothing else does. Jesus, on the other hand, lived in perfect harmony with the Father. At one time, some of us were apathetic toward Him. Jesus, on the other hand, was passionate about the glory of the Father in all things, at all times. That's why He came. That's why He died. One day, we will all stand across from the Lord in our moment of judgment, and He will judge. Jesus, since His resurrection, has been standing there at His right hand. And when each and every one of us in this room and each and every person from every tribe, nation, and tongue is brought before the Lord at that throne and He delivers His judgment, the judgment ought to be read loudly and declared decisively that we are absolutely guilty. There's not a person among us that can possibly live up to the standard of Jesus Christ. And the consequences ought to be expedient and exhaustive because in that moment, the standard will be Jesus and we all will have fallen woefully short. But, in that moment, there's an opportunity to be hidden, concealed, shielded in Him. He was judged guilty despite his innocence so that in our moment before the judge, we might be found innocent despite our guilt. On the cross, he was laid to waste like Sodom and Gomorrah and the judgment that fell on him was every bit as severe as what fell upon those cities. In the moment where we would expect all the false gods of the earth to be nailed to that cross and shown for the powerless nothings that they actually are, the Son of God hung on the cross instead. Instead of cities being laid to waste and lying in, a, in abandoned, desolate ruins. The Son of God, the Lord of the universe, hung on the cross and then was abandoned in a tomb, even by those who followed Him. And because of that, there's a chance to stand in your moment of judgment. Hidden inside the judged one as we're held to His standard. We cannot forget that the man on that cross is the standard by which each and every person that's ever stepped foot on the face of this planet will be judged. Every single person from every single nation all around the world, they will be judged. They will be held to the standard of the one who took our judgment. 
And so as we gather tonight and we look at the cross and we praise the Lord for the work of Jesus Christ there, we've got to be able to see beyond ourselves. All the people are going to be judged. And if the church gathers around America in particular and celebrates the cross tonight, but completely forgets all of the people all over the world who are going to be judged, who know nothing of its glory, what are we doing tonight? Why are we here? So we can look at the cross and kind of feel good about ourselves? The cross should be a reminder that there is a God who is going to judge and there is going to be guilt that should be pronounced for every single person that's ever lived and yet there's a way to be concealed inside Jesus Christ, the judged one, the standard, and you can be declared innocent and we ought to be compelled to share that message. We need to make sure that the nations know that the judge will judge. When we look at the cross, we must train ourselves to see Jesus' death beyond ourselves. We need to make sure that they know. We need to spend ourselves to be certain that they're aware. We need to pray passionately. Passionately. That the lost would see the glory of Jesus Christ on the cross. That the nations to the end of the earth would know the greatness of the justice and righteousness of God poured out on Jesus Christ, whereby the extension of the Lord's grace and mercy is made available for all people. We should pray passionately that that would happen. We should proclaim it boldly. You need a reminder to evangelize? Good Friday should be that reminder. How could you come into a place like this Sing that song about the man of sorrows, the Lamb of God who by uh, His own people was slain. How could we lift up our voices and say, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, and then think to ourselves, it only matters for me. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of death has no hold on me because who the Son set free is free indeed and He wants to set free people from every nation because judgment's coming on every person. And we should proclaim the message of the cross and the truth of Good Friday boldly. We should give generously in order to see that message go. We should go courageously if we're called. I believe there are people in this room right now called to take the message of the gospel to the distant nations and the islands of the earth. To 120 people groups in the Amazon rainforest. 20 million people over eight countries, many of which who have never had any outside human contact most all of which know nothing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord is judge, and He will judge all the nations of the world. And the standard by which He will judge is Christ. And everyone needs to be aware that there's a way to be hidden. There's a way to be concealed, shielded, declared innocent when the judge judges in that way is Jesus. 
the standard by which we will be judged is also the Savior by which our judgment can be innocence. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who carry out what He commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility, perhaps you will be concealed. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and as we start to prepare ourselves to take communion, I want us to spend a minute here looking outside of ourselves and thinking about the reality that there is a God who is going to judge and that He will judge the world. He will judge all the peoples and the standard by which they are going to be judged is Jesus Christ. And without faith in Him and the reception of God's grace on their behalf through His work on the cross, their only option is guilty. But the Son was laid to waste. Judgment was poured out upon Him infinitely worse than what came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. He spilled His blood so that as it washes over us, we might be declared righteous. And the world needs to know that in the face of a Lord who judges with absolute justice and righteousness, there's a wonderful, merciful Savior, a precious Redeemer and friend, a Lamb who has rescued the souls of men and women, the nation over. Let's sing together. You can stand up. I worry that when you sing the word all there, you mean all the people in this room. As if like the pinnacle of our Christian existence is that all the people in the church would hail King Jesus. As if when you look at the cross, you think all means all the folks who already know about it. Did you catch the words of the bridge? Let every knee come bow before the King of Kings. Let every tongue confess that He is Lord. I hope when we sing all, we literally mean all. And that you would be willing to give of yourself in whatever capacity is necessary for every knee to bow before the King of Kings. Every single one. That that would be the burning desire inside of your heart that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ on that cross on Good Friday is Lord of Lords and King of all and He was judged so that we could be innocent. I hope that's what you mean when you sing all. Not that, not that the grumpy guy next to you would start singing. But that the lost man or lost woman on a distant island, half a world away, would know Jesus. And that they would hail Him with all that they are. 
He's going to judge and he's going to judge the world. And I've got more stuff in my notes, but I just think I'm going to be brief. Because in chapter 3, as Israel was probably looking around at the nations around them thinking, you're all going to get it. The Lord said, woe to you. That city that is rebellious and defiled. See, the Lord's not only going to judge the world, He's going to judge His people. The church that gathers around the throne in heaven will be a pure church. No one's going to sneak in unseen. Look at verse 2. She, that's Jerusalem, that's the people of Israel. She has not obeyed. She has not accepted discipline. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. The princes within her are roaring lions, the leaders of those people. They were preying upon the poor. Her prophets are reckless, treacherous men. Her priests profane the sanctuary. They didn't go in with fidelity and sincerity to offer their sacrifices. And the Lord said, I will judge you. In the New Testament, 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come for the judgment to begin with God's household. And if He begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who disobey the gospel of God? Matthew 7.21-23, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. On that day, some will say to me, on that moment before the judge, some will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in Your name, drive out demons in Your name, and do many miracles in Your name? And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. <clears throat> Depart from me, you lawbreaker. Part of what we do when we come before the cross is that we don't make it all about us because it is about the entirety of the world, but we also examine ourselves to make sure that in our moment of judgment, we will be hidden in Christ. And that when we're held to His standard, His righteousness will be applied to us. Look, when you stand before the judge in heaven, He's not going to care that you were here tonight. I mean, He might care. But He's not going to declare you innocent because you showed up to some Good Friday services or you rolled into church on Sunday morning every once in a while, so long as it was convenient. You're not going to stand before the judge and be declared innocent because you tried to live a good life or because when you were young you helped your mom unload the dishwasher or get the groceries out of the car. You helped a little old lady across the street. Where are all the little old ladies that need help across the street? If that's how we're going to be declared innocent, we need more old ladies to stand out on the street. But that's not it. We're going to stand before Him. And the warning of chapter 3 is that there will be people who appear to be within the house of the Lord who never were. And so while the weight of the nations should bear down upon us as we think about Jesus Christ on the cross, the weight of the guilt of our own soul should weigh down upon us as well.
He will judge. And grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone is the only means by which you'll be declared innocent. Church attendance, small group attendance, service, the amount of money you gave to wonderful not-for-profit organizations, none of those things will make one iota of difference. What will matter is that you recognize the King of Kings on the cross. That you understand that a broken body and poured out blood at Calvary is the only means by which you can be saved. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Therefore, wait for me. This is the Lord's declaration. Wait until the day I rise up for plunder. Wait for me until the day I come back. For my decision is to gather the nations, to assemble the kingdoms, in order to pour out my indignation on them, all of my burning anger for the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy, and yet there will be a pure remnant of the church that remains there. Gather from every tribe and every nation and every tongue, and we will gather before the throne and we will cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Wait for me the Lord says. Because this day of judgment is coming. He will judge all the nations of the earth and what will remain is this pure and undefiled church that will gather before Him and spend eternity worshiping in His presence. And Jesus has secured the means by which that is possible. The Lord will judge. He will judge the whole world. He will judge His church. And Jesus Christ will be the standard. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to turn it back over to you guys.